Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala eşrefil enbiyai vel mursalin. Nebiyyina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. Elhamdülillah. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we continue this tremendous work of Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di. Rahimahullah. One of the great Imams of our times from the Sheikhs of another Imam, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin rahimahullah. And in this collection, my brothers, he compiled a number of ahadith, a number of narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pertaining to aqidah, one's core beliefs, narrations of akhlaq and mannerisms, narrations of ahkam, rulings, and all of these narrations are what is known as from the Jawami'ul Kalim. And that is a bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he bestowed upon his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he would speak a few words. But these few words contained much fawaid, uh, much benefit in contrast to the speech of others where a lot of speech, a lot of words mean nothing. Whereas our Prophet وسلم, was given this over other Prophets. He was given this blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he mentioned himself in a hadith. The last hadith that we read was the hadith of uh, Anas or Tamim al-Dari that religion is the sincerity of purpose. And so in this hadith, to briefly summarize from the previous lesson, Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, he mentions that in this hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam repeated this statement, that religion is sincerity of purpose, to emphasize the affair, and that this affair is extremely important. And that what is found in this hadith is... What causes the guidance of man, it leads to man being guided. That what is considered the rights of the religion and what is considered from the hukuk outwardly and inwardly are found in this hadith which is to do with an-nasiha, al-deen al-nasiha. And the one who establishes these affairs, he has established the religion. He has fulfilled and carried out the religion as it should be carried out. In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was asked, For who? Sincerity of purpose for who? He said, For Allah, and for His book, and for His messenger, and for the Imams of the Muslimin and their general folk, meaning the general Muslims. So he began by explaining An-Nasiha Lillah. He said, Rahimahullah. That is that one affirms and acknowledges the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He establishes his tawheed. He doesn't set up partners with him in the types of tawheed. His complete and perfect names, they belong to Allah only. Without any partners, from any angle. And that one establishes ubudiyah, servitude, outwardly and inwardly. And that he turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times and turning to Allah al-inaba what this necessitates is you turn to him in repentance from your sins and your shortcomings whenever you disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you turn to Allah hoping for his forgiveness that he forgives you and he accepts your repentance because the shaykh he said rahimahullah the servant of Allah la budda lahu min al-taqseer he will always have shortcomings and deficiencies. This is a must. It happens. We're weak. Every son of Adam is a sinner. كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمَ خَطَّاءٍ And the best of those who frequently sin are those who frequently seek repentance or turn to Allah in repentance. So from establishing Tawheed and having sincerity of purpose with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you turn to him in repentance. And Shaykh Ubaidi adds rahimahullah 
that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would seek the forgiveness of Allah a hundred times in one day. And he is who he is. He is the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The best of mankind. The best in taqwa from the servants of Allah. Whose sincerity of purpose was the best. He was the best. He said, Rahimahullah, that the Prophet was the best in speech, in action, and belief. But, for example, he would stand before his Lord in the night prayer until his feet would swell. And when Aisha radiallahu anha saw this from him, she said to him, why do you do this when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven your past and future sins? So he responded by saying, Afala akunu abdan shakura. Shall I not be a thankful servant? So this is the affair of the, the mu'min, the believer. That he always turns to Allah in repentance. And he strives in working righteous deeds. Because these righteous deeds, they strengthen his, his muraqaba, that he, his awareness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever watchful over his deeds and is aware of all of his affairs and all of his, his actions that come from him. As for having nasiha for the book of Allah, Jalla wa'ala, then Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, he mentions that it is by memorizing the book of Allah. And by contemplating, to learn its words and its meanings. And then striving in acting upon that which it contains. So then to add to that, Shaykh Ubaid, rahimahullah, just reiterating, he said that the book of Allah, the noble book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has three intents and purposes. It has three intents and purposes. The first of them is that ta'abudu lillahi bitilawati. The first of them is that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by reciting these words. That the one who recites the book of Allah, this is ibadah. He worships Allah by reciting these words. This is worship. Number two, tadabburu, that the person he contemplates, he reflects. He doesn't just recite, just for the sake of reciting. Although it is ibadah, but there's a greater intent behind that is that you learn what these words mean. That you learn what they indicate, what they necessitate. And that you understand these ayat and verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a correct understanding. And this of course refers back to and goes back to the scholars and the salaf and their understanding. Their understanding is the only understanding that is correct. So we return our understanding back to their understanding. And not to our desires and those people who feign knowledge, those muta'alimun. Rather we return them back to the true scholars that possess knowledge. And then the third intent and purpose of the Qur'an and the most important of them perhaps is al-amalu bihi, is to act upon that which you've learnt. And that is to make halal what the Qur'an makes halal and to make haram that which the Qur'an makes haram. And the tadabbur, the reflection and contemplation that you have, the second intent, that leads to amal. That leads to action. You read the verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed, He is the most merciful. So you then carry out those actions that attain Allah's mercy. You read that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is oft forgiving. So then you seek His forgiveness. You read the verses that mention Jannah, you ask Allah for Jannah. And then you do and carry out those deeds that will be a means to for you entering Jannah. You read those verses that mention the hellfire, may Allah protect us from the hellfire. You ask Allah to protect you. You stay away from sins. And you stay away from any affair that will earn Allah's anger and His punishment and His wrath. This is what 
tadabbur does, it leads to amal. It leads to good deeds. As for having nasiha for the messenger, then it is to believe in him and to love him and to give him preference over yourself and your wealth and your children, over everything. You give preference to the Prophet ﷺ over everything. You love him more than everything. Alongside, of course, it, it is an extension of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you love what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. And Allah loves his Prophet, so we love his Prophet. More than ourselves and our children and our wealth and so on. From having nasiha to his messenger wasallam, is that we follow him in the fundamentals of the religion and the branches in both. That we give precedence to his statement over any other statement. <coughs> Whoever that imam may be or how close that person is to you, how much affiliation you have for him, how much love you have for him. The only individual we blindly follow is the Prophet Nobody else besides him. So we give precedence to his statement over anybody else. And that we strive as much as we are able to follow his hadi, his way, his guidance. He came with the sharia which is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And his way is the best of ways. There is nothing better than his way. Then why should we not then follow that hidayah and strive to be upon his sunnah? And cling to his sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ said when he was speaking about his sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa, alayha bin nawajid. Bite onto it with your molar teeth. And this is how the believer should be. Meaning strive in clinging onto the sunnah. And this is how the Muslim should be. And this is how he has nasiha for the Messenger of Allah. As for having nasiha for the imams of the muslimin, then that is referring to the rulers, the muslim rulers. You believe in their wilayah, in their rulership, you obey them, you listen and obey, and you encourage the muslims upon this also. And that you strive as much as you can for their guidance. And whenever they fall into any error, then you make them aware because this leads to not only their benefit but the benefit of the people. Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah, he mentions a very important point after this part of the text from Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di. He said that Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di here generally mentions correcting the rulers. Does this mean that we do it openly? Does it mean that his belief, Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di, is that we do it openly? It's a general correction. You can do it from anywhere. You can shout across the street. He said, no. Those that are aware of his other works, or have studied with him, or have gone through his explanations, will know that Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di is upon the belief of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah. Is that advising the Muslim ruler takes place secretly as the Prophet ﷺ commanded. So if you want to know the specific details of his belief, return back to those books where he goes into detail. But a person shouldn't incorrectly think that this is his aqidah. He just mentioned generally make them alert or make them aware of their mistakes. No. It is in accordance with the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Shaykh Ubaid, rahimahullah, he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu which indicates what our belief is concerning advising the ruler. He said that the Prophet sallallahu said, Man arada an yansaha li sultanin bi amrin fala yubdi lahu alaniya walakin liyakhud bi yadih fayakhluwa bihi fa'ilqabila minhu fadak wa illa kana qad adda alladhi alayhi lahu this hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever wants to advise the ruler, whoever wants to advise the ruler, he does not do it openly. However, he takes him by his hand 
and he is alone with him and then he advises him. He does it in secret, not amongst the masses. If he accepts this nasiha, this advice, then that is what he intended. If it is accepted, then he's done what he's wanted. It's occurred. If it isn't accepted from him, meaning the one who gives advice, the ruler doesn't accept it, if it's done in secret, then he, the advisor, has done that which is upon him. He's fulfilled his duty. He wants, of course, the nasiha to be accepted, but that's not... يعني, if it doesn't occur, then he's given or he's done his, 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 uh, his wajib upon himself. He's fulfilled his wajib, his duty. So Shaykh Ubaid, he mentions that from this hadith, three affairs are clear. From this hadith, three affairs are clear. Number one, that it is not from the sunnah to make widespread and known the errors of the rulers, the Muslim rulers. That a person shouldn't stand on the pulpit amongst the masses and shout out these errors. Making the people aware. This is not from the sunnah. Rather, it is from the actions it is from the action of the khawarij. Al-Qa'diyya. Those khawarij that actually sit in their chairs and they incite others with evil. This is from their way. They incite others against the Muslim ruler. Affair number two or point number two that when you give nasiha the affair isn't that the nasiha is accepted. That's not why you give nasiha that it is accepted. I'm only going to give nasiha if I think it's going to be accepted. Otherwise I won't. That's not why you give nasiha. This is not why you advise others. What is upon you is that you make your brother aware of his errors. And of course you do it with sidq, with truthfulness and sincerity. You do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't do it for a personal gain, to make yourself feel good, to give victory to yourself. Because this is when the doubts and whispers enter. Rather it should be done for the sake of Allah. And if one does this, then he has fulfilled his duty. And accountability from him has been lifted. The third affair is that the, uh, Sheikh Ubaid rahimahullah, he mentioned that nasiha takes place in secret. That when you advise the Muslim ruler, it is done secretly. Even if he's from the closest of people too, you do it secretly. As the hadith mentions. And then he mentions that those who are upon the beliefs of the khawarij from making the errors and slips and faults of the rulers known, inciting the Muslims against them. And this has occurred in the last few months with the recent events in Palestine and so on, that which the Muslims face. We have those that are calling to evil. They demonstrate that they're protesting on the streets. They're speaking against the rulers. Look at what they're doing. They're doing nothing. They're supporting such and such. It's because of them. They are Zionists and so on. Making kufr, uh, making takfir of them even. Anybody who speaks in support of this belief, don't do this openly, brother. He's labeled a Zionist. And a madkhali and so on. Reviling them. This is from the way of the khawarij. As Sheikh Ubaid mentioned. To incite against the rulers. Whereas the Sunni Salafi, if he has the ability, he advises in secret. He supplicates for the rulers that Allah rectifies their affairs. It has been narrated from the Salaf that if I had one supplication that would be accepted, and that was Al Fudayr ibn Iyad, he said, if I had one supplication that was accepted, I would leave that for the ruler. And then some of the scholars have said that this is the hikmah from him. Because if the ruler is upright, the subjects will be upright. And this is hikmah and wisdom from him. So we don't call against and incite against the rulers and make their errors known as the Shaykh has mentioned. 
And then he, he said, Rahimahullah, that there are those from the Khawarij and so on upon their beliefs who use certain doubts. And he mentions a, a story that occurred uh, between um, Abu Sa'id and Marwan ibn al-Hakam, who was the Amir, the ruler of Medina at that time. And so this qissa, what it mentions is that from the sunnah is for the Eid Salah, you perform the prayer first and then the khutbah. This is the sunnah. Marwan ibn Hakam, he reversed it. He did the khutbah first and then the salah. So in this narration that is mentioned, Abu Sa'id advised him. And so those that have these beliefs, they use this hadith, they say, look, he advised him, he took him by the side, and then he, they even say that he went away. He walked away from him. If you look at the hadith, then Shaykh Ubaid, rahimahullah, he said that there are a number of points that actually refute their beliefs. He said, rahimahullah, that this hadith is authentic. It is found in the Sahih of Imam Muslim, rahimahullah. So it is authentic. But there are a number of affairs that those that are upon ignorance, they are neglectful concerning. The first of these affairs is that in the hadith itself, or the athar, Abu Sa'id, he said, radiallahu anhu, فَخَرَجْتُ مُخَاصِرًا marwan." So I came out, مُخَاصِرًا marwan. مُخَاصِرًا Khasara means to take somebody by his hand and to be side by side with him, meaning to take him to the side alone. Abu Sa'id took him to the side alone to advise him. He didn't do it openly, as Shaykh Ubaid mentions. He took him by his hand. Another affair that Shaykh Ubaid mentions, Rahimahullah, that Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu, he only sufficed with advising him. And then after he advised him, did he go home? Abu Sa'id, did he not pray with him? Did he leave him? He remained. He listened. And then he prayed the salah with the Muslims. He didn't incite others against Marwan ibn al-Hakam. He remained. He just gave advice and that was sufficient for him. Because that is what is wajib or the duty of the Muslim. He gives advice and he suffices. He doesn't need for it to be accepted. He stayed and he prayed. And then the last affair that Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah mentions is that Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, he did not use this as uh, the, a reason to speak against Marwan ibn al-Hakam openly. Just because he didn't follow the sunnah, did he warn against him? Did he say to the Muslims, don't pray with him? Go to your homes, pray somewhere else? Did he do any of this? What we see today from the Khawarij and those that hold these beliefs? So Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah, he said that that which is apparent and clear from this narration of Abu Sa'id with Marwan is that he advised him he did not oppose the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that was mentioned previously. And that is the hadith of Iyad ibn Ghanam. That the one who wants to advise the ruler, he doesn't do it openly, rather he takes him by his hand and he's alone with him. So Abu Sa'id agreed with that hadith. So there's no contradiction. And this is the affair of ilm, my brothers. Refer back to ilm, refer back to the understanding of the scholars. Don't listen to certain doubts and then just spread them without knowing the affair in reality as some may do they may hear certain parts snippets of the hadith and spread it look at one of the companions he advised him and then he didn't listen he didn't sit with them there are people who spread these doubts but this is not the case with the hadith and then Shaykh Abdul Rahman al-Sa'di, he finished off this hadith by saying that as for advising um, or having nasiha for the common folk, 
and that is to love them or to love Afwan for them what you love for yourselves and that you hate for them what you hate for yourselves based upon the hadith of the Prophet and that you strive in aiding your brothers so if if, if a person loves a thing he strives for it and he strives in order for that to be established and so he finished off this hadith by saying that the Prophet ﷺ explained and nasiha sincerity of purpose with these five affairs sincerity for Allah or sincerity of purpose for Allah and for his book and for his messenger upon the Imams and the, of the Muslimin and the general folk and so this the Shaykh he mentioned rahimahullah it comprises the religion as a whole that the one who does this and he has comprised the religion as a whole and nothing remains except that it falls within this speech of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and Allah knows best and we then move on to the next hadith the hadith uh, number four of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu who said أتى أعرابي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال دلني على عمل إذا عملته دخلت الجنة قال تعبد الله ولا تشرك به شيئا وتقيم الصلاة المكتوبة وتؤدي الزكاة المفروضة وتصوم رمضان قال والذي نفسي بيده لا أزيد على هذا شيئا ولا أنقص منه فلما ولى قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من سره أن ينظر إلى رجل من أهل الجنة فلينظر إلى هذا متفق عليه. So this hadith from Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه who said that the messenger of Allah or a man came to a Bedouin came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and said to him دلني guide me to a deed or actions that if I was to carry them out I will enter Jannah. Guide me to these deeds that enter me into Jannah. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Worship Allah alone and do not set up partners with him. Do not set up any partner with him. Don't commit any shirk. Worship him alone and do not set up partners with him in anything. And establish the prescribed salah or salawat, the five daily prayers. And to give the zakat that is wajib upon you. To give the zakat that is obligatory upon you. And to fast the month of Ramadan. So these are the affairs that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. And so this man, after hearing this, this Arabi, this Bedouin, he said, By him in whose hand is my soul, I will not add anything to this, meaning what you've advised me with, I will not add anything, and I won't take anything away. Whatever you have mentioned, I will do exactly that. So when this man turned away and he left, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever wishes to see a man from the people of Jannah, then look at this man or look at this person. And this is a shahada, this is a, a testimony from the Prophet ﷺ that this man is from the people of Jannah. Allahu Akbar. And this hadith is found in the Sahihain. The Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Imam Muslim. Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah, he, he says that Hani an lahu, glad tidings to this man. Hadihi shahadatun lahu min nabiyyihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is a shahada, a testimony from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for this man. That he is from Jannah. And how tremendous and great a testimony. Who better than the Prophet Sallallahu to say about a person that he is from Jannah? So this is what Shaykh Ubaid Rahimahullah said. Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di, he gives a very brief sharh of this hadith. He said, Rahimahullah, وَقَدْ وَرَدَتْ أَحَادِيثُ كَثِيرَةٌ فِي هَذَا الْأَصْلِ الْكَبِيرِ الَّذِي دَلَّ عَلَيْهِ الْحَدِيثِ He said that there are other narrations, many narrations, that indicate this fundamental principle or this asl that which this hadith has indicated 
And all of those narrations that indicate the same or similar meaning, and that is that the one who carries out and fulfills that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon them, based upon the obligations, and then he mentions al-furud al-mushtaraka, those obligations that are that everyone takes part in, such as salah, the five daily prayers, we all have to pray them. Or if it is those wajibat that are mukhtasa bil asbab, allati man wujidat fihi wajabat alayh, or those obligations that are based upon certain stipulations, such as, an example, what is an example of this? Where there are certain conditions for something to be wajib. Hajj. Hajj. What are the shurut or the, 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 what makes it wajib? Ability. Qudra. Wealth. And other affairs. If you don't have the wealth, do you have to perform hajj? No. If you bodily, if you don't have the physical ability, you have a sickness that prevents you, is hajj wajib upon you? No. So there are those obligations that are reliant upon stipulations. Zakat, another one. Is zakat wajib upon every person? It's not wajib upon every person. There are two conditions. And they are ikhwa. What are they? The nisab, which is the threshold. And the second one? The time? So the nisab, once he's reached the threshold, he has to remain above that for a whole year. So if it goes down for, a, for even a day, what happens? It, re- it resets. So until those stipulations are met, zakat isn't wajib. So these are the types of, of uh, furud that the shaykh has mentioned. Rahimahullah. Whenever they are wajib upon you, if you carry them out as you should, with their conditions and their pillars and their wajibat and so on, and you refrain from haram, then a person deserves to, to enter into Jannah. Istahaqqa dukhul al-Jannah. This is what he deserves, based upon the hadith and other narrations that indicate the same meaning. And a person will be saved from the hellfire. He then said, Rahimahullah, وَمَنْ اِتَّصَفَ بِهَذَا الْوَصْفِ فَقَدْ اِسْتَحَقَّ إِسْمَ الْإِسْمَ الْإِسْلَامِ وَالْإِيمَانِ وَصَارَ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ وَالْمُفْلِحِينَ That the one who is described with that which is found in this hadith, he carries out the wajibat, he refrains from haram, then he deserves to be called a Muslim and a believer. And he is from those that are the muttaqeen, those that have taqwa, those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Muflihin and those that are successful. And this is how one attains success in this worldly life and in the hereafter. Carry out the wajib, refrain from sins. Don't disobey your Lord. And he is from those who traverses upon the straight path, whoever does this. This is the straight path. Stay away from haram, carry out the wajibat. This is the straight path. And then he said, Rahimahullah, a hadith that resembles this hadith, and he goes on to hadith number five, al-hadith al-khamis, is the hadith of Sufyan ibn Abdullah al-Thaqafi, radiyallahu anhu, who said, Qultu ya Rasulallah, qulli fil-islami qawlan la as'alu anhu ahadan ba'dak. Sufyan ibn Abdullah al-Thaqafi, he said, I said, O Messenger of Allah, mention to me a statement concerning Islam that I don't need to ask other than you after you, meaning you alone I will ask and I won't need to ask anybody else. Tell me something to do with Islam that I don't need to turn to anybody else for. So the Prophet again mentioned a very small statement. He said to him, Qul amantu billah. Say, I believe in Allah, and then remain steadfast. Say, I believe in Allah, and then remain steadfast. 
قل آمنت بالله ثم استقيم. عند الحديث يسفعون لصحيح أبيما مسلم. Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al-Sa'di, rahimahullah, he begins by saying that this man, Sufyan ibn Abdullah al-Thaqafi, and indeed the Bedouin, this man in particular, he asked the Prophet for a statement, kalam, that is jami' lil khayr, nafi' and that is comprehensive, and includes all of good, Jami'an lil khayr, it is comprehensive in terms of that which it contains from good and it is beneficial. Musilan sahibuhu ilal falah. And that this statement leads to its person who utters it to success. It leads, to, leads him to success. Al falah. So the Prophet, what did he command him with? He commanded him to have iman, to believe in Allah. الذي يشمل ما يجب اعتقاد من عقائد الإيمان وعصوله وما يتبع ذلك أو ما يتبع ذلك من أعمال قلوب والانقياد والاستلام لله باطنا وظاهرا ثم الدوام على ذلك. He said رحمه الله that he said to him to believe in Allah. Say I believe in Allah. This is iman in Allah سبحانه وتعالى. And what does this necessity or what does this consist of? It consists of Having the correct aqidah that, that pertains to iman. For example, the pillars of iman. Believing in them. This falls under believing in Allah. <coughs> and the fundamentals that come from that. <coughs> and that which follows from that also. This is from all from believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What also follows this? Having iman in Allah and the pillars and so on. It leads to actions, actions of the heart. It leads to submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, full submission, inqiyad, submitting oneself, lowering oneself, humbling oneself to Allah jalla wa'ala. And he does this outwardly and openly and inwardly in both affairs. It's not just a physical outward manifestation. It must take place inwardly as well, in his heart. And then what should he do? He should remain firm upon that, persistent upon this. He has iman, belief in Allah and that which it necessitates from the different pillars. He acts upon that and then he remains firm and steadfast. Istiqama. Until he dies. Istiqama occurs... One should hope for it to occur until one dies. This is what he asks for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this hadith, قُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَقِمْ It is similar to the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا Indeed, those who say our Lord is Allah, Tawheed, Iman in Allah, to establish Tawheed, those who say that our Lord is Allah, and then they remain firm and steadfast upon this belief, upon deeds, upon righteousness, upon that which it necessitates. He remains firm upon that. Angels will descend upon him if he remains like this. When will they descend, my brothers, these angels? At the time of death. This is when they descend. They descend at the time of death. And they say to him, do not have fear. Do not fear. And do not be sad and grieve. And glad tidings of paradise. Which you were promised concerning. And so this is the affair of having Iman and establishing Tawheed and remaining firm and steadfast upon that until death. That the angels will say to him, don't fear, don't be sad, don't grieve, don't stress. And the tidings of Jannah for you, a person will attain a good ending because of Iman and Tawheed and establishing Tawheed. And so Shaykh Abdul Rahman al-Sa'adi, rahimahullah, 
he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse what leads from iman and istiqama what it leads to is as-salamatu min jami'i shurur the iman and steadfastness upon iman that leads to being saved and safety and security from everything that is evil and bad you are saved from everything that is evil because of your iman and, and steadfastness upon iman and attaining jannah this also leads to attaining jannah iman and istiqama lead to attaining jannah entering jannah and everything that a person loves he will attain all of these affairs if he has iman and he remains firm Sheikh Fawzan hafizahullah in his sharh of al arbaeen al nawawiyah he said that this hadith is a proof for the belief of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah that Iman is speech, belief in the heart and actions of the limbs. Because the Prophet said to him, Qul, say I believe in Allah. So this is statement. And then he should remain firm. How does one remain firm? With actions. Actions of the heart or belief in the heart. A'mal qulub khawf and raja and so on. He fears his Lord. He fears his punishment, so he refrains from sins. He hopes for his reward. And so he carries out deeds. He obeys his Lord. And this is the belief of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah concerning Iman. That it is statement or speech of the tongue, actions of the limbs and belief in the heart. And Iman increases and decreases. It increases with obedience and it decreases with sins. Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi rahimahullah, he said that these rusus of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, what they indicate is that Iman, it includes and encompasses everything that is in the hearts from, or it includes the following, that which is in the hearts from correct belief, the correct aqidah, it is from Iman. Actions of the heart is from Iman, such as raghba fil khayr, wanting khayr, wanting good, and fearing evil, and wanting good again, and hating that which is evil. All of this is from Iman. Khawf and raja and tawakkul and inaba and all of these affairs are from the actions of the heart, but they all fall within Iman. Also from Iman is a'mal jawarih. The actions of the limbs, the actions of the limbs such as salah and zakat and fasting and so on, they are all from iman. And none of these affairs, correct aqidah, actions of the heart and righteous deeds of the limbs, none of these affairs are complete. None of these affairs are complete, my brothers, except and unless a person is steadfast upon them. They require steadfastness. It's not a case of practicing for a number of months and a year and then that's it. We strive to be steadfast and remain upon hidayah with the Father of Allah until we die. Until yaqeen comes to you, which is death. We worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until we die. This is the affair of the believer. And the end result of that is angels come down with good news of paradise. Making a person feel comfortable at that time. Telling him, do not fear. Is this not what we want? Do we not all want a good ending? then this is what a person should do. Believe in Allah, remain steadfast with a'mal, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to die upon this. And with that, my brothers, the Shaykh, he finished hadith number five. And we can uh, read through hadith number six, bi'ibnillahi ta'ala. The final hadith, um, 
the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhumah uh, a companion, son of a companion, who said, "Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, Al Muslimu man salima al Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadih, wal muhajiru man hajara ma naha Allahu anhu, muttafaqun alayh wa zalat al midi wa nasai, wal mu'minu man aminahu al nasu ala dhimaihim wa amwalihim, wa zad al bayhaqi, wal mujahidu man jahad nafsahu fi ta'at Allah." He mentioned a number of narrations together that have different wordings, but the asr is the same. The Prophet ﷺ said the Muslim is the one who other Muslims are safe from his hands and tongue. He is a Muslim. Other Muslims are safe from his hands and his tongue. And the Muhajir is the one who boycotts that which Allah has prohibited him from. He is the muhajir. And this wording is muttafaqun alayhi, found in the sahihain. At-Tirmidhi and An-Nasai, they added, and the believer is the one who people feel trust and safe concerning their wealth and their blood. That is a true believer. Others feel safe from him concerning their wealth and their blood. And then Al-Bayhaqi, Rahimahullah, he added another, or from his uh, chain, there is another addition where the Prophet ﷺ said, and the Mujahid is the one who strives with his nafs in obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the Mujahid. A tremendous hadith with, the, with these wordings, my brothers. Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di, Rahimahullah, he begins his Sharh by saying that the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith he mentioned with these noble names uh, that a person or the believer through these affairs he will attain sa'ada, bliss and happiness in this worldly life and in the hereafter. What are these names mentioned in the hadith? It is Iman and Islam. And hijrah and jihad with these four affairs one will attain bliss in the in the in this in the dunya and in the hereafter and then the prophet ﷺ mentioned the definitions of these affairs these four things with kalam with speech that is jami' shamil that is comprehensive and inclusive of everything Number one, that the Muslim is him who other Muslims are safe from his hands and tongue. The Shaykh said, Rahimahullah, that Islam, Al-Haqiqi, true Islam, is submitting to Allah, Al-Istislamu Lillah, submitting to Allah, and perfecting and completing Ubudiyah, his servitude, your worship for him, and establishing his rights and the rights of the Muslims also. This is Islam. It's Islam submitting to Allah, completing Ubudiyah and, and establishing the rights of Allah Jalla wa'ala. And from Islam is to establish the hukuk, the rights of the Muslims. He said Rahimahullah that Islam is not complete until a person loves for the Muslimin what he loves for himself. How can this be established? How can this be actualized? This can only occur when they feel safe from his harm and from his evil. That which could occur from his tongue or from his hands. Meaning he doesn't harm them with his tongue or his hands. They are safe and protected from his harms. This is Islam that is complete. And... This is, an, this is a principle, a asal, a fundamental that is wajib upon the Muslimin. So whoever or whoever's harm reaches others, whether that harm is from his tongue or his hands, how is he establishing that wajib upon him? The obligation upon him. Is he establishing the wajib upon him towards his Muslim brothers? 
So then being safe from his evil, that, that is speech or action, this is a unwan, that which indicates a symbol of one having complete Islam, that others are safe from your harm. So what does this mean, my brothers? That if your harm reaches others, your Islam is not complete, it's nafis, it's deficient. There's a shortcoming there somewhere. If your Islam was complete, you would not harm them. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he explained the mu'min, the believer to be the one who others feel a trustworthiness and safety concerning their wealth and their blood. He said, Rahimahullah, if Iman settles in the heart, and it spreads, then it necessitates that the one who occupies and, and holds this Iman, it leads him to establishing the rights of Iman. From the most important of these rights is having trustworthiness, having responsibility, being truthful in your dealings and interactions, having piety and fear concerning oppressing others. You don't oppress them concerning their wealth and their blood. And whoever is known to be like this by the people and they feel safe concerning him, they trust this person concerning their wealth and their blood. They trust him and they know from him these affairs, because he has amana, then this indicates that he is establishing these wajibat. And this is from the most specific wajibat of iman, as the Shaykh has mentioned. The Prophet said, La iman iman la amana talahu. That there is no iman for the one that has no trustworthiness. If a person is deceptive and deceitful and treacherous, this is an indication that his iman is defective. La imana here, it doesn't mean nafyul iman, it means nafyul kamal. His iman isn't complete. When he was like this, for a person's iman to be complete, he must be trustworthy. I mean the people must feel safety from him, concerning their blood and their wealth. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he explained al-hijrah to mean and this is wajib and obligatory upon every individual, every Muslim, is that he boycotts and abandons and forsakes every sin and every form of disobedience. And this is the asal of hijrah. Al-hijrah now is, is used to mean migration. But the asal of the word, the origin of the word refers back to boycotting something. A person when he performs hijrah, that is specific, it goes from one land that he boycotts to another land. But hijrah here, the Prophet ﷺ explained, or the muhajir, is the one who boycotts sins. Whatever that sin may be. This is the muhajir. And this is the fard, the wajib upon every person. This is obligatory upon every person, in all situations and circumstances. That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram for his servants transgressing those boundaries and those limits that he set. If you know that which is haram, you stay away. Stay far away from the haram. And that is wajib upon every person. Even those means that lead to it. The avenues that lead to sin, you stay away from them also. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا Do not come close to zina. The scholars, they say that he didn't say, don't fornicate. He said, don't come close to zina. How does one stay away from zina to this extent? Or how does one come close? He falls into those affairs that are means. And then that leads to the action itself. Well, it could be an avenue to the action itself. But the believer, he refrains from even the avenues that lead to it. The various ways that could lead to this sin. And indeed every sin. Whatever is a means to that sin, you stay away from that also. 
And this is wajib upon every person. And of course, he said, Rahimahullah, the hijrah that is khasa, that is specific, is the hijrah where one migrates from the country or residence of kufr or bid'ah to the country of Islam or residence and place of Islam and sunnah. But this is only a part of hijrah or a specific part of hijrah. وَلَيْسَتْ وَاجِبَةً عَلَىٰ كُلِّ أَحَدٍ And it is not wajib upon every individual, every person. This specific type of hijrah. وَإِنَّمَا تَجِبُ بِوُجُودِ أَسْبَابِهَا الْمَعْرُوفَ It only becomes wajib if those known conditions are met. Otherwise, it's not wajib, it's mustahabba. As for that which is mentioned in the hadith from refraining from sins, boycotting sins, this is wajib upon every single person. Every single person, every single Muslim. This is wajib upon them to make hijrah, to boycott all sins. And then he explained the mujahid, the one who strives. He is the one who strives with his nafs. He fights his desires, his, his nafs to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For indeed, a person's nafs, his desires, it inclines towards laziness. This is how a person is. And what his desires call to, laziness from good deeds. And it calls to evil. And when, when a person is afflicted with trials, a person's nafs is easily affected and influenced. And so this requires, my brothers and sisters, that it requires sabr, patience, it requires jihad, striving, in order to make your nafs obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this requires striving. It's a fight, it's not easy. It's not easy. And to remain steadfast upon that again requires fighting and striving from yourself. Striving against sins, disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, repelling those doubts that you hear, those whispers. Striving upon patience when calamities afflict you. And everyone is afflicted with trials. Every one of us. Should we let these afflictions do with, us, do with us what they want to do? Or should we strive and use them to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have patience upon them? And then that leads to ta'a and obedience. And then he said, Rahimahullah, this is ta'a, this is obedience, and that is to carry out the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to refrain from sins and to have patience upon that which is decreed. This is ta'a, this is obedience. So the mujahid in truth is the one who strives upon these affairs, upon the wajibat, refraining from sins and having patience upon that which is decreed. This requires Mujahada, it requires fighting and it's a struggle. You strive. This is the true Mujahid. And of course, the most noble of the types of jihad is fighting the enemy of the Muslims, the enemies of Allah. And you fight them with speech and action as well. That striving for the sake of Allah, in the path of Allah, is the pinnacle of the religion. And so this hadith, whoever establishes that which he mentions in this hadith, that which he indicates, and he indeed has established the religion as a whole. That other Muslims are safe from his, from his arms, of the hands and the tongue, that they feel safe concerning their wealth, and their blood, and that a person he boycotts sins, 
and he strives with his nafs in obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَبْقَ مِنَ الْخَيْدِ الدِّينِ وَالدُّنْيَوِي الظَّاهِرِ وَالْبَاطِنِ شَيْئًا إِلَّا فَعَلَ So there does not remain after this, these affairs, anything from khayr, from good, in the deen, or the worldly life, outward or inward, except that this person has carried it out with these affairs. And there remains nothing from evil except that he has abandoned it and left it off. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the one who grants success alone. And we finish off, my brothers, with the ta'aliq, the commentary of Shaykh Ubaid, uh, rahimahullah. He said, rahimahullah, that jihad, the, the, the last type that Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, he mentioned, he said jihad, according to Ahlul Ilm, is two types. That which is jihadu talab and jihadu dafa. The jihad that is a command or a request, or and the jihad that is a defensive jihad, or offensive and defensive jihad. And both of these affairs require qudra, require ability. Except that the jihad that is offensive, or jihad al-talab, the first type, this relies solely upon the imam, the Muslim ruler. He gives the call. It's not for any odd individual to say jihad is wajib. It's for the ruler. And the people of knowledge at times. However, this affair of jihad and its types and its conditions and so on can be found, the Shaykh said, in the, the statements of the scholars and their works. And the Shaykh said, Rahimahullah, that he explained it in depth in a previous lesson on a Friday. Ala kulli hal, the Shaykh, he finished off by saying, Rahimahullah, that the intent from these qawaid, from these usul, from these principles, these fundamental principles, that, that the one who attains knowledge and strives and seeks knowledge, he must combine between all the nusus, all the various texts, he gathers them and he combines them, and then he takes his understanding from them. And this can be found in the statement of the Imam Abdullah ibn Madini rahimahullah from the contemporaries and companions of Imam Ahmed. He said, Walbabu idalam tujma' turuquhu lam yatabayan khata'u. It's referring to asaneed and chains of narration. But the meaning is fitting here. He said, if the bab is not gathered, the bab meaning all the narrations in a specific area or a specific field or a specific issue, if they're not gathered together, then the error will not be made apparent. So in terms of the asanid, you can't know the defects of a chain until all the chains are brought together. And then you can compare. And then you can find the defects and the irregularities. Similarly, the masail of the religion, if you only rely upon one text and base your beliefs upon that text and your rulings upon that text, then you will fall into error. But the Sunni Ahlul Sunnah, what they do is they combine between all the texts. And then they formulate their beliefs and their ahkam that come from them. And then the Shaykh finished off by saying, Rahimahullah, if we look at the source of misguidance with these misguided sects and groups, that we find that the majority of them are upon this. That they don't combine the texts. They have one hadith, and then they base their belief upon that hadith only. And they ignore everything else. They say, for example, Sheikh Fawzani mentions this. Those who say that the one who says, La ilaha illallah, as the Prophet said, he will enter Jannah. And they rely upon that only. It doesn't matter what sins come from. They turn to graves and they vow to others besides Allah and they sacrifice for other than Allah. But they say, we said la ilaha illallah. This is sufficient. How about the hadith that mentions the one who says it with ikhlas, khalisan lillah, with truthfulness and so on. There are quyud. There are stipulations that you must abide with. 
And this can only be done if you combine between all the texts. If you don't, your beliefs will not be correct and your understanding will be incorrect also. And so the way of Ahlul Ilm and Ahlul Sunnah is we combine all the texts as Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah mentioned and then with that my brothers we finish off this hadith, hadith number 6. Tremendous narrations um, containing many fawaid. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make these words beneficial for us all. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from those who establish these rights mentioned in these ahadith. And to make us from those who have iman with their pillars, with the correct understanding and beliefs. And make us from those who have istiqamah until we meet our Lord Jalla wa ala. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.